All right, glad you're with us. Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Yeah, I was talking earlier how the media is corrupt. Media didn't care about Russia collusion with Hillary's dirty dossier or the, of course, the subpoenaed emails deleted and, you know, the dirty, you know, premeditated fraud on a FISA court. They didn't care about Joe's quid pro quo. Uh, they don't, only if they can bludgeon a Republican or Trump. In this case, it's just Trump and the American people. They don't care. You can't even ask questions. You have thousands of ballots showing up this week alone in Georgia. Why question it? That's, you're, you're, you're being unfair to question it, which is ridiculous. Because uh, I'm sure if it was in reverse, Democrats would be saying, we've got thousands of new ballots that appear over two weeks later. Everybody in the media would say it. Um, but I you know, looked at the whole 20... 20- 20 election campaign and what do you have the the candidate media mob big tech the candidate protection program biden hides in the basement they do his dirty work they slam donald trump 24 7 pretty much how it works and then they don't even allow you the choice or the option of getting information now i was talking about a very small ensemble cast that we put together and we spent the better part of three years and we've been proven right on everything that we reported the mob and the media peddle lies and conspiracy theories, and they were never held accountable because they don't care about fairness. They didn't care about real Russia collusion, only if they could bludgeon Trump or real quid pro quos, unless they can say it's Trump. They didn't care about any of it. Uh, anyway, two of the, the cast members in this whole cast that we put together, Greg Jarrett, host of his new podcast, by the way, The Brief, had two New York Times bestsellers. Uh, the Russia hoax, witch hunt, and John Solomon, now editor-in-chief, justthenews.com, his book, bestseller, Fallout. Uh, welcome both of you to the program. In the bigger picture, Greg, you understand what I'm saying here. Not, there wasn't really many of us for, for that three-year period, and John Solomon, you even got it started, but Greg, I'll start with you, that were exposing what ultimately turned out to be vindicated and true. Now, people haven't been held accountable. That, that's a separate issue. Well, you're absolutely right. The media hates Donald Trump. They loathe the man. They despise his policies. They were shocked that he won uh, in November of 2016. And so they spent the better part of the last four years trying to vilify and demonize Trump. Uh, And many of them still claim he stole the 2016 election uh, by conspiring or colluding with uh, the Kremlin in the bowels somewhere. And, of course, that's utterly been rebutted and disproven. It was actually a hoax that was invented by none other than Hillary Clinton. But the media never cared. They didn't care about facts or evidence or proof. They ran with phony, false stories based on biased, anonymous sources, and they tried to destroy Trump and drive him from office. The great irony is even though now there is eyewitness evidence and testimony and and affidavits uh, of not just irregularities but voting fraud, the same media doesn't want to spend four weeks in courts of law to make sure that this was a free and fair election and not rigged. But as Jenna Ellis, who is a lawyer for Team Trump, said, what the media believes and their opinion doesn't matter. She's absolutely right. In my judgment, the media is so biased, they are irrelevant. John Solomon, your take. Yeah, I think Greg has it right. I think the 
media squander whatever credibility and uh, connectivity it had to the American people with its willful ignorance, its bad reporting, its bad polls. Let's remember, uh, the Washington Post had Donald Trump down 17 points in Wisconsin on Election Day. That, that's just shameful to be that far off in their polling. Uh, and I think when you're, when you're done, uh, the credibility of the media is there. And I think, you know, when I go around the country and I talk to people or when people call in to just the news, they want to talk to me, uh, one of the things they are just mystified by is an utter lack of curiosity by today's reporters. They're just not interested in talking to Jesse Jacob, the woman who worked in the city of election, city election center in Detroit, who lays out fraud. She witnessed it. She says she participated in it. She can name the supervisors who told her to do it. They don't interview her. They don't interview the people with the Nevada Native Vote Project where gifts were being given out as inducements to get people to pay. There's just an utter lack of curiosity among reporters. It's willful ignorance, and it's why the old-fashioned media are in danger of, of uh, being swept away as irrelevant. Well, but I don't think you can render them irrelevant when you think of just they have no desire to ever tell the truth on major issues that impact this country. And that, you know, you would think affidavits of American citizens given under the threat of perjury would be worthy sure. of an interview or an investigation, even hard questioning. Of you know, what course. do you mean you saw this? Can you prove you saw this? Did you take videos of this, et cetera, et cetera? How did you report this? Um, that would just be simple, fundamental, you know, one-on-one journalism, wouldn't it, Greg? It's, it's media malpractice on steroids, as I've said before. Uh, and frankly, nobody believes the media anymore. Uh, they have squandered all credibility. Uh, they now have a license to lie, and they do it with impunity. Uh, and they've shamed themselves. They've disgraced their profession. Uh, and, you know, look at any poll over the last three or four years. And, you know, you've got a confidence in the media hovering in the single digits uh, because they've been proven wrong so often. You know, it's, it's chicken little. The sky is falling, and it, it, the sky turns out is blue and not falling on anybody. And this is a, a perfect example. When you have people who sign sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury who say that phantom ballots, ballots without names are being assigned random names, yeah. and those votes go for Joe Biden, uh, when you have invalid, tardy ballots that are being deliberately backdated to make them valid ballots for Joe Biden, uh, you know, these are serious concerns. And if, if Joe Biden really wants to be uh, considered a legitimate president, he should demand that these inquiries and investigations and legal challenges be had. But, John, that's never going to happen. But, I mean, they let, the, they let this guy get through an entire election cycle hiding. They helped him hide. They did all the dirty work to smear Trump for him. And they never asked him a tough question. That's where we are. And they never dug in. They never dug in on the Hunter Biden thing one bit. But here's an amazing thing, and I think this is the proof of the power of the platform you have, uh, uh, Sean, with your, your radio and your TV shows and with uh, Greg and his amazing books and Just the News. The, uh, these facts are now getting around the media to the American people. And how do I know it? I've been running polls the last couple of weeks trying to measure this. A majority of Americans, uh, I think it was like 70 percent, said they believed uh, Joe Biden engaged in a conflict of interest with his son in Ukraine. Today, we have a poll. Out. A majority of Americans believe a special prosecutor should be named to investigate Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's shakedown across the globe. They couldn't 
feel that way if they didn't know about it. And what it shows you is they're getting these messages through new means like Greg's Great Books, your shows, our, our site, and other places. So I'm optimistic that this new ecosystem of people that we're building, tr- you know, truth tellers and new, new realms, can get around the complete blackout that the news media has given to these issues for four years. Okay, let me and play devil's advocate and, and yeah. let, me, let, me, let me be the pessimist here because sure. it, with all the low-hanging fruit – and premeditated fraud on a FISA court, and let's see, a dirty Russian dossier uh, used as the basis for that, and of course, you know, subpoenaed emails, deleted and bleached, but who's been held accountable in the past? Why should people listening to us, even though we got it all right, why would they believe that it's going to end any other way except the fixes in on everything? I would remind people of the report that Joe Biden says he will not interfere in any Department of Justice investigations, which means that the Durham investigation will continue to its conclusion. Uh, I have faith in, in, in justice, and, and actually I have faith in, in Bill Barr and John Durham, both of whom have a record of completing investigations and calling it uh, in a non-political, non-partisan way. And, and I think there will be people held accountable. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that that will instill a greater faith in our system of justice across America. Look at the report that came out yesterday, an addendum to the September 23rd report of Senators Grassley and Johnson, yeah. talking about deep ties. And we're talking about zero experience Hunter and Joe Biden. Uh, creating counterintelligence and ex- extortion concerns. And Biden was the subject of this staff report. And this is the one that went into the Russian oligarchs, the Kazakh oligarchs, the Chinese nationals, uh, the three and a half million dollars. First lady of Moscow, the, the money's transferred for a new car, shopping sprees. I mean, serious allegations i've seen nobody in the mainstream media john solomon just us the few of us not a lot of us a select group we go our own way we get to the truth because we get it wrong we get the crap kicked out of us so we have to get everything right we even took our time when we had stories lined up triple confirmed we'd still wait to make sure beyond any doubt before we'd go with it how many times did we do that during this process over russia russia we, we did, and you take a look, look at Greg's books, the incredible footnoting and ex- precision of every fact in his, every one of his books, and my book with Seamus. We, we took great care because we owe the American people the truth, not the half-truths or the bogus truths or the fiction that the New York Times and the Washington Post fed this country for a long, long time. And I, I think that in, in this process, you know, one of the things that I, I'm just amazed in watching over the last few weeks, the more the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the networks ignore this, the more people become curious and looking at it. They have figured it out, and when they hear something being knocked down in the media, they're getting more curious for the first time. It's like, oh, if the media is knocking it down, I better check into it. That dynamic is going on. I see it in our polling. I see it in the people coming to our site. I think there's a new ecosystem. I, I'm not as pessimistic as you, Sean. I don't want to talk for you, but I, I really believe there's a new ecosystem where books and radio shows and new websites can get the truth out, and the Washington Post and the New York Times won't matter a damn to the American people in the not-so-distant future. I, I, I think we get there, but how do we get there with this election in particular? Yeah, it's a great question. I, go ahead, I, go ahead, I, I think you follow the process established by all state legislatures, and that's a legal uh, process. You file a petition before a court, 
and you go to a judge and you present the evidence, the affidavits, the eyewitnesses. A hearing is held. That evidence is then tested. And if there, it is compelling enough, uh, then a judge issues an order. And the order could be for an audit. It can be for a, a recount. Uh, it could be to discount uh, a certain category of votes, such as votes uh, that came in late. So, you know, the process needs to be played out. That's how it works in America. It's not the media that ordains the president of the United States or coronates him. No, it's the American people through the electoral process and where there are serious legitimate questions about the integrity of that process, it needs to be examined, and that's the process that's unfolding right now. Don't have a lot of time left. Uh, you watch this today, Greg Jarrett. Republicans, Democrat, left-wing media, all critical of Dominion. Not now. Why? Not when there's, not when there's a sworn affidavit under penalty of perjury that there's a backdoor to this software that allows tens of thousands of votes uh, to be changed with a click of a mouse or uh, the pressing of a keyboard. So I think this needs now to be looked at in a court of law, the evidence presented, tested, examined, and a decision made as to what to do next. Last word, John Solomon. You know, I think the state legislatures can play a big role here. They have subpoena power. They can get the communications, the records, and start exploiting things that are being withheld from the legal teams. I'd love to see the state legislatures do what Devin Nunez, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, and Lindsey Graham did in Russia on this election. That's the missing component in this investigation right now. But is there a time to get it in terms of impact in the race or no? Sure. A subpoena can be given a date of five days and you get the documents. It's not that hard. Greg, quick. Absolutely. I, I covered the 2000 election contest, 37 days. There's plenty of time to do it. Quick break. We got Cheryl Atkinson, Ken Starr, all coming up as we continue. All right, 25 till the uh, top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, let's just listen to the media. It doesn't matter how many hundreds of people would sign an affidavit. They don't even want to hear it. The media ignored everything as it relates to... This phony, trumped-up, Trump-Russia collusion and just outright lied to us for years. Uh, if partisan observers, as the statutory language and voting laws say, can watch the counting and they're not allowed to watch, they don't care. They don't care at all because their candidate won, because they're smearing Trump. They didn't care about Hillary's dirty dossier, though. They didn't care about spying on a candidate because it wasn't theirs or a president because it wasn't theirs. They didn't care about a quid pro quo with Ukraine because they protect their own. And and this is just a state of affairs. So if there are legitimate questions and people that say, for example, I'm a here lawfully. I've I've actually observed elections for 20 years, but I wasn't allowed this year. And hundreds of people testify to that fact, which is in the law. Why would we ever want to hear them? Here's the mob breaking overnight. American democracy. Actually, it didn't break, but it wasn't for lack of trying from President Trump. A dizzying 12-hour period where the president assaulted dedicated civil servants while simultaneously trying to undermine the outcome of an election. The losers in the Republican uh, leadership should take a page and don't lecture us anymore about patriotism or about putting country over party, or rather putting party over country, which is what they did. I never thought I'd see a day where you saw pretty much an entire party in this country 
refuse to accept election results. This is like a sick, childish fantasy that these Republicans, okay, are basically tiptoeing around Donald Trump. Uh, Did they ever accept the 2016 election results? Because if they did, I missed it. Or did uh, Stacey Abrams ever accept her loss in Georgia? I think I missed that, too. Um, Cheryl Atkinson is back with us. She's written a phenomenal new book. And by the way, the timing couldn't be any more perfect for this. And it's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship, Hate Journalism. And uh, anyway, best-selling author in her own right and and journalist uh, has been very outspoken on all of this for a long time. Uh, Cheryl, welcome back to the program. It's on Amazon.com now and bookstores everywhere. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. You know, if you let's just look at the last four years. Um, Didn't the media pretty much lie daily with conspiracy theories about Trump and Russia and this collusion narrative, and weren't there four separate investigations saying it didn't happen? Well, in my book, I talk about why I don't use the word lie, but there was definitely a false reporting, rampant false misleading and incorrect reporting, a pattern that cannot really be denied in terms of could it be willful or could it just be accidental mistakes? Well, what about when everything that they said had happened didn't happen? Did they ever go on the record and say, we, we want to make a correction here, that our reporting was wrong? No, and I think that's really the tell, the fact that they don't see that their mission wasn't accomplished. The mission was accomplished, if you understand, as I think you do, Sean, that in many instances it's not journalism as we thought of it traditionally to get at the facts and the truth and be accurate. It's trying to sway public opinion and forward narratives. So even if they're wrong, in the end, there's no apologies. There are usually no firings. There are no mea culpa. And that's because they accomplished the exact mission that they wanted to accomplish. In this case, sowing distrust and chaos in their attempt to undermine, if not oust, President Trump. Now, even and then on the other side of it, to show that they've got an agenda, you know, when you have hundreds of our fellow Americans signing a, a lawful affidavit, under the threat of perjury, a legal document, uh, they don't even want to. They they don't even want to entertain it. Uh, or, for example, if partisan observers, as the statutory language in election law allows for partisan observers in all the states that we're talking about, and partisan observers one after another come out and say, "No, I wasn't allowed to observe." I would think that following the law would be critical and crucial to instilling confidence in an election for the American people, uh, but they don't care at all. Is it, isn't it because their candidate won? I think so. I mean, this is what is so telling of the conflicted media. A neutral media would have covered this election and the aftermath entirely differently. We were told, after all, in 2016 that Russia interfered in the election. China will try and has done so before. It'll happen again in 2020. We know that domestic bad actors committed illegal acts allegedly to interfere with President Trump. So neutral journalists would have had every rational reason to be on the ground digging and watching for any slight hint of impropriety in these swing states and places where we were conducting an election like we've never done before with different tactics and rules and ballots. And instead, you saw the media kind of on a wholesale basis stepping back and saying, well, show us the evidence that anything bad happened. You know, there was a time that we didn't expect it to walk up on the door, knock on the door and present itself to us. We would search for it and we would look for it and not simply declare that it doesn't exist simply because the guilty parties haven't 
come forward and told us what they did. So this is this is a whole new world in terms of what the media, how it covers something like this and how it would have covered it, I think, if it were unconflicted. See, I think there's a pattern here, and I think the election, I think your analysis is dead on. And But I would argue, for example, uh, Hillary's violation of the Espionage Act, Hillary's deleted subpoenaed emails, Hillary's dirty bought-and-paid-for Russian dossier, uh, spying on a Republican presidential candidate, transition team, and then president. If, again, if this has happened in reverse, I think we'd get a very different type of media coverage. Or even, let's look at Ukraine and impeachment. I mean, is it did it bother you with all the talk about quid pro quos that Joe Biden's bragging on tape? He leveraged the billion dollars to get a Ukrainian prosecutor fired uh, for the say. Then we find out his son is making millions with no experience. Uh, would they have ignored that the way they did Biden if the last name was Trump? And you look at the timeline, and that was already done and already known by the time that they accused President Trump of impropriety in Ukraine. They knew full well, because actually some of the liberal press had done stories on these alleged Biden conflicts of interest in Ukraine and elsewhere. So they knew that at the time they were lobbying these counter-accusations against President Trump. But as you said, one set of accusations was covered as if proven true when there wasn't evidence. And the other set of accusations was called a conspiracy theory for which there was no evidence, when in fact there was quite a bit of evidence. So, you know, what we've got here is a whole system where there's a crisis of confidence in what the media reports, what the Department of Justice investigates, how our elections are held. I mean, top to bottom, social media. I just think we're, we're at a really scary time in a transition to something else. I hope something better as people recognize what's going on and kind of rise up. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think, look, I just think the media is in the pockets of all things radical democratic socialist and all things, especially anything related to Donald Trump. But really, the American people, uh, they just have no interest in representing the other side of the story at all. And I, I, I really think that there are very few exceptions now. I don't see many people in your profession, and you are a journalist. I'm a talk show host. Journalism is a part of what I do, but it's a small part. Um, we even do investigative journalism, and we do opinion, and we do every, we're pretty much the whole newspaper when you're a talk show host, is my argument. and But the media, I think, has been corrupted for a long time, and I think they've chosen sides, and I think it's more obvious every day. And I think people have every right not to trust anything that they're told by them. And you can see this agenda on display. I'll give you another example. Do you think that Joe Biden is struggling cognitively? That's a good question. I, ha I, I just don't have enough information. I will say that I've seen indications visually that, yes, he's suffering from something. But I also know that what we see i'm know, not diagnosing him i'm just asking if he's if that's the same joe biden that we knew even when he left office in in 2016 yeah i would say a rational person sees what seem to be fairly normal signs of aging as happens to a lot of people and i recognize okay, fair that enough well i'm, I'm getting know, older yeah. by the day we all are right so my <laughs> question is did the media by allowing him to hide almost half the campaign in his basement bunker how many tough questions do you believe Joe Biden really got as a candidate? Because I can name 10 off the top of my head that he should have had to answer, and he didn't. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And, you know, if Donald Trump, if we play the substitution game, 
had been so absent and answered so few questions from reporters and disappeared at crucial times like no other presidential candidate, at least in my time, has done right before the election. If he had done that, you know what the headlines would have read and you know how it would have been covered. So that's that's the dead giveaway. But why, Sean, that I think something will come of it? I don't mean the media is going to turn around. I just think something else may emerge. Why do I think that? because the media has almost universally been against Donald Trump in a very biased and unfair way, in my view. And yet he got more votes this time than any other president in history, than any other candidate besides Joe Biden, they say. So let's put that aside for the moment. Despite social media universally conspiring against him, despite the media almost universally conspiring against him with false information many times over you know, this drumbeat over four years, Tens of millions of Americans saw past that and still wanted to vote for Donald Trump, which makes me think there are a lot of people not listening to this system or operating sort of outside of it in a way that they think is more honest and more real. And that means there's a market for somebody else to develop that. I think a little bit of that is seeing people go from Twitter to parlor. That's just one example of something that's happening. Because I think the floodgates are about to open. I, I think that Twitter is in for a big wake-up call now. And I think, you know, YouTube as well with Rumble. And uh, I can see a, a Facebook challenger at some point coming on board. And I think their business model is just right for a competitor. I agree. Now, you talk, you actually had uh, insiders at Fake News CNN and the New York Times uh, actually talk to you and tell you about uh, what the atmosphere working environment is there and and they see what we see in terms of their bias i I actually think some of their on-air people believe this crap and they've deluded themselves but that's my own humble opinion uh what are they telling you you know there's a whole chapter on cnn whole chapter on new york times i worked at cnn back when it was a news organization and i can tell you that the cnners i know and some of them are quoted in the book are horrified at the turn of events um, at the place that used to be seen as really the best place that we had where news was firewalled from opinion and that we were as neutral as it was perhaps possible to be. By the way, when we were run by Ted Turner, a liberal billionaire donor who didn't interfere, at least ever when I worked there, on any sort of daily basis with what we reported, and I knew we were supposed to be neutral, I would never have dreamed of inserting my opinions and diagnosis of you know, any politician that was done in a very relative few political shows we had, or maybe Larry King Live and Crossfire. The rest of the programs at CNN at the time were non-political coverage. There's a lot going on in the world not surrounding these two or three topics we beat to death every day because the propagandists want to put these narratives on the table. And so, yes, in the book, I talked to former executives and current insiders at CNN, New York Times, ABC, MSNBC, people who have worked or worked at 60 Minutes, um, all the networks, and they do see a lot of what we see. But if you understand the sort but they of... they want to keep their job. Last question. Yeah. And, and I've said in 2007 and, 2007 and 8, journalism's dead. By and large, I believe that is more true than ever. Am I right? I do think traditional journalism, I say it's the death of the news as we once knew it. There's something else now, but it's certainly not what you and I uh, came to think of as journalism. Kind of sad, but a lot of depth, a lot of research, a lot of work. And if you really want to understand how corrupt this all is, uh, Cheryl Atkinson has her brand new book out. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. 
Uh, you can get it at Amazon.com. We put it up on Hannity.com. It's now in bookstores everywhere. Uh, Cheryl Atkinson, great book. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Sean. Take care. All right. When we come back, the legal case with uh, Ken Starr, who's been really outstanding on all of this. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. All right, News Roundup, Information Overload Hour, Sean Hannity Show. Uh, Sidney Powell had a powerful close today uh, in this uh, long press conference, uh, and here's what she said. This is stunning, heartbreaking, infuriating, and the most unpatriotic acts I can even imagine for people in this country to have participated in in any way shape or form and i want the american public to know right now that we will not be intimidated american patriots are fed up with the corruption from the local level to the highest level of our government and we are going to take this country back we are not going to be intimidated we are not going to back down we are going to clean this mess up now president trump won by a landslide we are going to prove it and we are going to reclaim the united states of america for the people who vote for freedom all right sydney powell from that uh, presser from uh, earlier today Maybe, I don't know, after all these years and you see where we are, did anyone care uh, that the narrative the media and Democrats sold us on Russia was a lie for three years? Did they care about the real Russian dossier that Hillary paid for? They did not. Did they care, care about obstruction with deleted emails? They did not. Did they care about spying on a president, presidential candidate, transition team? They did not. The media lied for three long years. Uh, the American people, the, the evidence was overwhelming. It was incontrovertible. And it was proven over and over again. Did they really care about a quid pro quo in Ukraine? Well, if they did, how do you ignore Joe Biden bragging he leveraged a billion taxpayer dollars to fire a Ukrainian prosecutor so his zero experience on could be paid millions? They care about, you know, Russian oligarchs so bad. Why didn't they care about the wire transfers that... Senators Johnson and Grassley were able to expose as it relates to Hunter Biden. If they care about being compromised by the Chinese, why didn't they care about the billion five deal with the Bank of China that Hunter got after flying on Air Force Two with daddy or the Kazakh oligarch? You see where the double standard is. The news media's chosen sides. Big tech has chosen sides. And we, the American people, are left with, you know, it's uh, if it's against a conservative or a Republican, go all in. You know, politics, personal destruction. If it's a Democrat, go all in. Defend it. Lie. Defend. Ken Starr has been watching uh, all of this, and uh, you saw the presser today. I'm dying to get your thoughts on it. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Sean. Thank you very much. Am I wrong in my analysis about Hillary's dirty dossier, about FISA warrant abuse? Am I wrong about the double standard in Ukraine? Am I wrong about deleted emails with bleach pit, et cetera? No, I think you uh, score an A plus. Uh, <laughs> summa cum laude. <laughs> summa cum laude. <laughs> no, what I first, heard, but go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, Professor Ken here. Yeah, when I heard you go down the list, uh, I couldn't find anything that say no, Sean. That's that's a little bit off. And uh, as someone who followed the whole, spe- I'll just pick out one: the special counsel. The appointment uh, in May of 2017, 
the almost two years and so forth. And then that report, that bless his heart, Bill Barr becomes the Attorney General of the United States, and what's the first thing that lands on his desk? This 400-plus page report. And the coverage of the report, once it was released, was just, to me, extraordinary. I studied the report, as did you, in depth. And the coverage was just, shall I say, misplaced, erroneous, uh, concluding that there was, in fact, uh, uh, I'm talking about the reporting, that there was, in fact, all this evidence of collusion and so forth, when, as you and I know, and I'm harping on this because it was so important for what, the first really two and a half years of the president's tenure, right? Imagine your reaction as the president. You've been in office for five months, and you're told a special counsel has been appointed to investigate you. As someone who was an independent counsel or special counsel, I can attest that's not good news for the president. It's very disruptive. The point is, the Mueller report actually exonerated the president with respect to the collusion, just as you said. But, of course, it was not portrayed that way at all. You know, when you look at what what's going on here um, and you look at, you know, I don't know, I try to keep it simple. And if we have election laws about partisan observers and we have example after example that partisan observers were not allowed to watch the vote count as the statutory language calls for. I don't know what the remedy is, but, you know, we have so many people that is not even in dispute, but nobody really seems to care. If you're changing laws just before the election or like they're trying to do in Wisconsin, where they're, you know, in the process of even as we speak, trying to change things there in terms of the vote count, et cetera, and and giving out absentee ballots when the state doesn't even allow for it, that that should be troublesome to America. Why are all these hundreds of witnesses now about a thousand that I know of? And affidavits, why are they just outright ignored and pushed to the side and nobody gives them any merit whatsoever? Because my understanding is if you sign a legal affidavit, you do so under the threat of perjury, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a serious thing to swear something uh, under oath. I did one just uh, this day, and I said, oh, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to read this with great care. It was just a routine kind of document. But exactly, perjury is a felony. You go to jail if you've been convicted of perjury. So. Absolutely. So the, the, here's here's the point. How do we unscramble the egg in light of all of this evidence? Well, that remains to be seen, but here's the key. Let's now prove this. Facts, facts, facts. And one of the things that Sidney Powell, and I respect Sidney Powell, she's, well, she's a great patriot. She is a very experienced lawyer. And I don't think that she would just be making accusations. And these are very serious accusations. Where did this software come from? Where's the hardware? What countries has it been used in? The sources of funding? These are all the most serious kinds of allegations. They're troubling. They should go to the core since the system was used in, what, 20 states? We already know it made the, the software glitch in Atrium County, Michigan, and so forth. But this that was small. This is obviously what Sidney Powell said today is very big. And really, these are serious allegations, as you and I will fully agree, that merit the most serious and obviously quick investigation. What do you see as the best legal arguments that they're making after the press conference today? I think the best is, uh, is frankly, what Sidney was suggesting. And the use and the manipulability and the perhaps built-in with the algorithms and so forth, 
My word, if that is true, and let fact that those systems were used, as they say, in 20 states, that's what took uh, really got my uh, attention. Well, let me, look, can Rudy I explain had, something to you? This is yeah. something Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, bitterly complained about. A Princeton tenured professor that's an expert on voting machines complained also and talked about the flaws in this system. The state of Texas in 2019 rejected this system not once but twice and had previously rejected the system in 2013. Uh, The AP has been critical of it. The New York Times has been critical of this particular system, but yet it's used in in 28 states. Um, Now, from my just logical perspective, brain i'm thinking okay if everybody on both sides of the aisle think the system is is not the best and we deserve better why was it ever used because all it does do is lead to doubt because all of these people from all these different political persuasions have been telling us that is extraordinarily serious that and it shows the gravity of what Sidney powell said and i think we're all just trying to absorb this i learned a lot from what Sydney was saying. Again, these are allegations. Easy to make allegations. Let's prove them. But Sydney and the team, there are some <clears throat> terrific lawyers on the team. I think those lawyers have integrity, and that's what they're pushing for, integrity in the system. Now, I'm so glad that you called out the fact that Carolyn Maloney, right, of New York, complained about this. You mentioned uh, Amy Gorbachev and so forth. So why in heaven's name would it be used? There's no good answer for that. And uh, happily, I'm a Texan who lives in Texas. I'm very proud. I didn't know this was all news to me, that Texas considered it unreliable. What we do know is that just as mail-in ballots can be abused, misused, fraud can be, can be, right? So too electronic systems. We know they can be hacked, right? We know that especially if they have a provenance, Venezuela, (laughs) Maduro, what we were hearing today is just, to me, quite staggering. So how could we possibly have done this in so many states? And so it, it this is this demands immediate kind of investigation, but we've got to have proof. We've got to prove. Here's the key. You frequently ask and rightly so. What's the remedy? We've got to prove that there's causation. We know that there is wrongdoing. So let's find out those facts, and then what does that lead us to? And Rudy made some strong statements today. Causation. We can prove that the wrongdoing. <laughs> Not just mistakes, but the wrongdoing, in fact, affected the election. And Sidney Powell said, as you just played, the president won in a landslide. That's an extraordinary claim to make, and now she's got to back it up. But let's see the, let's see the evidence. Let's see the facts. How Where's much weight beat? in a court, and this is your wheelhouse, not mine, when you have hundreds and if not thousands of affidavits signed by American citizens, does that weigh in playing part in terms of evidence being presented in a case? Yes. Well, you have the evidence report, but all of the courts, of course, are going to be focusing on is the election in their respective states. But six states have been seriously called into, into question, right? So let's find out the facts on uh, in that respect. But there's not and a lot of time. To be honest, there's that's the huge challenge. There are too many states, six seriously, right? You might say five gravely serious. 
uh, and there's just not not a lot of time. So the clock is running. I have every reason to believe that the president's legal team is terrific, and they are working around the clock. But you're exactly right. Time time is uh, is the, the enemy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, and I can't speculate. Okay, exactly what is going to happen if there's a doomsday scenario in Pennsylvania or in Wisconsin or whatever. But I do know this. There is authority to invalidate an election, not a nationwide election. Elections are run in communities and in states to actually invalidate. It was done during the civil rights era when racist uh, jurisdictions would play fast and loose (laughs) with the vote count. Sound familiar? And so there is, in fact, case law out there to invalidate an election. And what do you do with this? You've got the electors meeting right in December and so forth, and the certification that goes to Congress. I know time is very short, but guess what? When the stakes are really high, you and I have talked about this before. For example, the New York Times, the Pentagon Papers case from a generation ago, Watergate, uh, excuse me, uh, the, the the issues that eventuated in, in Watergate, but just the publication of the Pentagon Papers case, those issues were resolved in days all the way up to the Supreme Court. Now, this is more complex. I'm just saying it can happen that there will be a rapid resolution once the facts are in. Let's get those facts. Um, you know what it's like when you're also in the middle of a political firestorm uh, in a high-profile case like this. Uh, it's not easy, is it? No, it's not. Uh, and especially in light of what you said just a few minutes ago about the the media and uh, the unwillingness to be truth seekers. I was really blessed, uh, Sean, during the Clinton investigation to have, it was a different era, Real truth seekers at the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC News, ABC News. Yeah, they they had some truth seekers. Whatever there are, not 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 many even then though. Now there's none. Then now where are they exactly? So we have had this move, this shift to we don't even not seek the truth. We simply seek to portray and to present a particular viewpoint, even in our news coverage. And it's just been terrible. Terrible. Yeah, no, I mean... Terrible erosion. It's a, well, it's a disservice to the American people. But, you know, the fact that they just, they, they have no, they're shameless in this. You know, the double standard on Russia, the double standard on Ukraine, the double standard on obstruction, the double standard on on the rule of law, um, you know, on on quid pro quos, I mean, it is so spectacularly obvious that it just makes you, you worry about, you know, whether we ever get back to normalcy or this just gets baked into the culture of corruption that is not just Washington, but it's all things democratic socialist because the ends justifies the means for them. I, that I fear for our kids. Well, I would say be of good cheer, as you, as you say, let not your hearts be troubled, because the marketplace works. If there is going to be this uh, incredible bias and in non-truth-seeking, then the marketplace gives rise to truth-seekers, right? It's just the ebb and flow of the marketplace. So we're in a bad patch right now in terms of the great traditions of American journalism, and we're here to find out the facts. No fear, no favor, right? 
just the kind of thing Sidney Powell was talking about from the perspective of a lawyer, right? The unpopular lawyer, the unpopular cause. But we're going to fight to do this. This is John Adams at the time of the Boston Massacre. This is mm-hmm. who we are. So wow. market dynamics and courage. All right. Appreciate you being with us, Ken Starr. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? We'll come back on the other side. We'll get to your calls. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? Quick break. Right back. And we will continue. All right. Glad you're with us. Hour 2, Sean Hannity Show. Toll free. It's 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, uh, our friend Matt Towery, syndicated uh, columnist, he is a pollster. He's nailed the last two presidential elections pretty darn close as close as anybody in politics, he has an article he wrote today for Real Clear Politics about the state of Georgia. Uh, just as background, I got to know Matt when I was a local host in Georgia from 1992. I'm dating myself here to 1996. And he was also did a lot of polling over the years for Newt Gingrich, was a lieutenant governor candidate himself. He was in the state legislature. I don't know if you were, were you a senator in the House? I don't remember. I was, I was, I was, I was in the House. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you write this piece. Uh, I'm going to speak in Georgian, a realistic primer of the run- runoffs in the, in the great state of Georgia, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, you talk about the scene in The Godfather uh, where Michael Corleone meets in a small restaurant and he's there with this rival mafia boss and a corrupt cop. And he has a gun hidden in a bathroom, comes out, guns blazing, kills the two of them. And but in the meantime, they had been speaking Italian and not and the cop didn't understand what they're talking about. And then you end this thing with now you know how to speak Georgian, which was pretty funny about, uh, you know, Uh, about this race now we know the significant importance of georgia right now and these two senate races insider advantage fox 5 atlanta which you poll for you came out with a poll just moments ago and i'm looking at it for the first time you have david purdue and his race at 49 49 you have the democrat Raphael. Warnock, who seems like a pretty radical kind of extreme left guy, uh, up by a point, 49-48 over Kelly Loeffner. You have the governor of Georgia's approval rating at only 37%, disapproval of 44%. Now you take it from there. You know Georgia better than anybody I know. Well, so it's it's a very complicated situation in Georgia. For your listeners, so they understand, the demographics in Georgia have changed substantially over the last 10 years. It used to be if you had a, a runoff election after a general election, a Republican nominee would win, a la Senator Saxby Chambliss, who easily won his runoff election back years ago. That's not the case anymore. Georgia obviously was very tight. Biden ended up winning it, although a lot of people in Georgia don't believe that that was a fair election. In fact, 73 percent of the Republicans we surveyed said they did not believe the results were fair and accurate. And therein lies some of the problem, Sean. These voters love Donald Trump, these Republican voters. He is, as I said, he's not just a political figure. He's a religion for these Republicans in Georgia. They're very upset about the results in Georgia. They don't feel like they were fair and accurate. That's what the poll's saying. And they haven't heard much from their leaders there. They're dispirited. And whether or not they're going to turn out at the levels they did for Donald Trump is a critical part of whether these two senators can go from being deadlocked or behind to being able to win. 
It's a critical part, and right now it's very iffy. The other thing that's iffy is Raphael Warnock, yes, he seems to be pretty radical, and he has some pretty uh, left-of-center ideas, but he's doing a great job of packing it, packaging himself on Atlanta television. And Kelly Leffler decided that the, their group decided to run an ad early on that took him on with some of his radical positions, which, which was fine, except the imagery that they used, the, uh, the Warnock campaign was able to turn around and say, basically, these are personal attacks. I'm a good guy. I'm talking about issues. I think it was a bad first step for the Leffler campaign. It was not something I would have done because what it does is it puts them on the defensive, and it's, and it's reflected in these numbers. This is such a big survey that I have, one of the biggest I've ever done in Georgia, that I don't think there's much margin of error. I mean, the, the, the statistical margin of error is 3.5%, but you know my work, Sean. I'm usually within a one-point level or so of my accuracy. I think this is dead on right, and these things are going to be heartbeat type races where Republicans are going to have to really get their act together to keep those two seats in the U.S. Senate. The problem, I would argue, too, is that, you know, now we have Thanksgiving coming up, right? And then you have uh, Christmas coming up. You're literally talking about how many people vacation Christmas week or New Year's week, which is always my long, big vacation every year, right? Uh, My one big vacation. And... You know, and then you come back on Monday and then the election's Tuesday, January 5th. Now, uh, the Democratic Party, I, and I'm just speaking anecdotally here, is, you know, Stacey Abrams has a very solid organization and getting the vote out obviously worked to some extent. Now, the accuracy, it was interesting that 73 percent of Republicans in Georgia, they, they don't think this outcome was fair and accurate. And I guess when you find 2,600 ballots, and maybe more apparently, I just found out today, uh, after, two weeks after the election, I mean, how does anyone have confidence in the results of any election when they screw it up that badly, knowing that states can do it easily and get it right every day? Um, and yet, the, why do you think the governor's approval rating down there is tanked? Well, I think partially because people look to the governor and the secretary of state to provide some guidance when President Trump appeared to be just twisting in the wind here. And, and they heard too many stories. I mean, people in Georgia wanted to know why they quit counting vote, votes. That happened in a lot of locations. And I know that that's been disputed allegedly by the AP fact checkers. But in reality, we had a lot of places just sort of shut down for a period of time and suddenly started counting votes again. And I'll tell you, a news story just broke across the wire here that the Secretary of State in Georgia is now investigating two instances of, of potential mismanagement by the Fulton County, which is the largest county in the state. It's where the city of Atlanta is located, their elections board. So this is starting to unravel more, and even the Secretary of State, who seemed to be very reticent to question anything, is, is now having to look into this more than I think they expected. Do we know any more on that? No, I, I literally just saw this just as I got on air. Uh, apparently, it, it's two various uh, instances, one having to do with the chain of custody, big shock there of some of the ballots, and then another one having to do with, with um, monitors with ballots. But we've heard these stories replete. I mean, I, I can say, because I have so many people in Georgia who report back into me, uh, given the fact that you know I did serve in office there, I worked for all, all three of the network affiliates. I was their political analyst at one time or another. The only one I didn't do was CBS. 
and and I know tons of people there. And the stories I heard back from the people who went to monitor, it was just a disaster. People were told they had to stand across the other side of the room. There there were tables where there were no monitors placed. Uh, some were, were, were told to, to be quiet. One person observed th- um, three ballots be- being count- counted for Biden that were for Trump. The person who was supposed to check up on it said they were Trump. They changed those. But then at another table, the person who was supposed to check on the ballots wasn't even looking at them, just putting them you know, back into a bin. It was a chaotic mess. And anybody who portrays Georgia's recount as being a real check of the vote in that state doesn't know what they're talking about. You had a question in your poll that said signatures should match licenses or official registration. And it was an easy win, 70 to 19 percent, with 11 percent undecided. And I'm thinking um, now they had this consent decree earlier in the year after what a lawsuit by the Georgia Democratic Party, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committees. And I guess as part of the consent decree, if you requested and correct me if I'm wrong, a mail-in ballot that that you would that application, as long as it matched the signature on the ballot, the application and 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 what was on the ballot that would suffice, which is different from the database that was used for day of voters. Like if you showed up to vote in Georgia, and you know, I guess you need a picture ID in Georgia. I'm pretty sure. And then they match your signature up against the signature in the database. So two different systems. And I think Lynn Wood has been looking into that as potential equal protection argument there. Yeah, well, the real the real question here is this. So we've heard numerous statements by the secretary of state. And he said that all of every ballot, um, including allegedly the absentee ballots, went through this database process, process check. But. Before he said that, they said that every ballot that was applied for online that was absentee required a photo ID. That means the, the vast majority of the absentee ballots that were applied for were applied for by mail, and there was no uh, photo ID requirement whatsoever. So already you have one thing, a photo ID requirement for people who show up or go online, but no photo ID requirement for people who just mail in absentee ballots. And I think Stacey Abrams is saying she has 600,000 mail-in absentee ballots already in her pocket right now that that she's going to be delivering. So that's an incredible number of votes. We still don't know. It's never been made clear, Sean, whether those ballots that were sent by mail, absentee ballots, whether the original application where there was a signature was loaded into the central state database and somehow that was used to check against when the ballot was sent in. If that's the case, well, then you have no way of knowing if that's a real person or not. That, that's a situation that's completely different than someone showing up at the polls, signing their signature, and it being scanned into the database, because that database is, of course, from the DMV or from the voter registration card. It's an incredibly confusing mess. And that's why 73% of Georgians um, on the Republican side said they don't have any faith in the election. Now, I don't know how in the world anyone can feel good about the job they've done if the vast majority of the party that elected them says that they don't have any faith in the, in the results. I mean, this, this is unbelievable to me, which would mean that uh, court packing and all this other garbage, everything's on the table, Schumer, and you got you know people from California now wanting to, you know, Hollywood actors and actresses want to fly out there and... Joe Biden will be in there. I'm sure Obama will be in there and, and so on and so forth. 
Democrats have seemingly an advantage with this built-in, you know, mail-in ballot system. Uh, and I guess Stacey Abrams, I, I can't fault her for doing a good job of mobilizing Democrats in the state of Georgia. I just I don't understand why Republicans haven't done the same. Well, everything in Georgia is cooked against the Republicans, even though they control the legislature. I mean, consider this. Anyone who's a registered voter can show up and vote. They didn't have to vote in the, in the general. They can still go register and vote. That's crazy. The time of the, of the vote, if you were going to choose the worst possible time to hold a runoff, it would be for Republicans January the 5th, right after everyone in this country is on vacation, including you and me. So how do you expect people to show up and vote um, when, you, when you place it at such an, a, a difficult time period? And then you have Stacey, and I give her all the credit in the world because that's what her job is. She's, she's got this mail-in ballot ahead of time, and their ground game seems to be way ahead of the Republicans. Now, I don't want the Republicans who listen to this program to think that I'm saying that the Republicans are going to lose. <clears throat> but I am going to say this. The Republicans right now are a slight in my opinion, underdog in these races. And anybody who doesn't realize that is trying to whistle to the graveyard. This is a very serious situation for Republicans. You have two, two candidates with different messages. You have um, an African-American candidate who can drive up the African-American vote. You mentioned Obama coming to Georgia. That's certainly going to help. And he's actually got very good ads on TV right now. Then you have another candidate, John Ossoff, who comes across as a very middle-of-the-road candidate sort of a centrist. He's not. He's to the left of center, and I think most people who know him would tell you that, but that doesn't mean that the television audience in metro Atlanta, where we've seen the suburban white voters begin to actually move to the Democratic Party, doesn't mean that they're going to be scared off from him. So this has got to be handled absolutely surgically correctly in in Georgia, or you're going to see at least one Senate seat lost and potentially both. I'm going to put your article that's on Real Clear Politics and the Insider Advantage Fox 5 poll up on Hannity.com. And if you're in Georgia, know somebody, uh, send it to everybody you know there. This is real. Matt Towery, thanks so much for being with us. Glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, well, with all that we've been through and all that we just went over and covered in, in terms of what's going on, especially in the state of Georgia, Oh, 2,700 ballots here, 2,600 ballots here, another 284 ballots in Walton County. Reports all day have been been coming my way that there's even more coming, waiting for that to come in. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, he wrote the bestseller Trump in the American Future. Uh, He's been watching all of this very, very closely, and I, I thought your comments on TV last night were dead on accurate. How are you, sir? Well, I'm doing great, and uh, we just finished doing a podcast with some key people out in Nevada. And, and when people hear this at Gingrich 360, they're going to get blown away. As bad as Georgia is, Nevada is 100 times worse. I mean, we do not understand, as Americans, the level of corruption which has entered into our political system. It's just, I mean, I'm, I have to tell you, you've done me a long time, Sean. I am blown away by how sick the system got and how deliberately the Democrats are willing to go out, undermine the Constitution, cheat their fellow Americans, and simply break the law. It's, it's astonishing. 
I just got a note from a friend of mine. I think enough things went wrong in Georgia to justify legislative and legal action. Uh, You know, now we had a 9,000 vote swing, apparently, you know, to to Biden because they wrote down the wrong number. This was, I believe, in Fulton County. But, you know, I'm looking at all of this, and we'll get to the Nevada thing in a second. I want to get up to the speed on that. You saw what happened in, in Michigan last night in Wayne County. But they're finding we're, we're two weeks plus out now. How are they finding not not five ballots, 10 ballots, thousands? How does that happen? And how does anybody trust it? And how does anybody have faith in the ultimate result here? Look, nobody should have any faith in any of this until we until we completely clear up the system. And this, and frankly, I mean, I've, as you know, I've spent the last couple of weeks deeply immersed, uh, communicating with people all over the country, talking to some of the smartest people from MIT and Carnegie Mellon and what have you. Uh, this is so corrupt. Nothing since the peak of Tammany Hall, uh, which was the epitome of corruption in New York, nothing has been comparable to this. Uh, and so you start with that notion, and you realize that and you mentioned briefly the, what happened in Wayne County. People need to think about this. They had a meeting. There were four election supervisors. The two Republicans voted not to certify, so it was tied two to two. And for several hours, the mob attacked them, called them racist, intimidated them. There are lawyers who are being told if you work for Trump, we're going to destroy your career. I mean, you're looking at mob rule in a, in a Nazi quality, just physical intimidation that is, frankly, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said this is impossible. We will not degenerate to this level of violence and this level of intimidation in my lifetime. And I would have been wrong because the truth is we're right at the crossroads. Georgia clearly went for Donald Trump, and only the timidity of the governor, the cowardice of the secretary of state, and the passivity of the state legislature is allowing it to happen. Because the fact is, if any of those three were to step in, it would be over tonight or tomorrow morning. It is so blatantly obvious what what the Democrats have been doing. Then why won't the you, look? You're from Georgia, 1994 election day. I was your MC at your big event at the the Cobb Gallery, I believe. Uh, that's I'm getting old, but I was the MC that night, <laughs> it, it, and and I lost my that's voice, true. but I still oh, did my radio true. show the next morning. Now my question to you is, you know, time is of the essence here. They've got to be done with this tonight at midnight. The governor, there's been more calls for the governor to step in. He won't. Secretary of State is too busy picking fights with Doug Collins and Lindsey Graham, making wild, false accusations. Uh, other people on the line said he's just in insinuations. So ballots keep coming in. So the bottom line is, yours, and this is just true, we will never be able to have faith in the ultimate outcome of this. You just can't. Well, that's right. And until it's cleaned up, it's going to always be a tainted election. But look, I would say to every person in Georgia who favors Donald J. Trump, 
Go to the governor's mansion physically. Go to the Capitol physically. Communicate that you're prepared to stand up for America and you're prepared to stand up for an honest election and that you are sick of politicians selling you out. And I believe that's what's been going on. And I, but I by Friday, um, I hear the governor will certify this thing and the secretary of well, state. And then, then, frankly, then, frankly, they should beat both of them in the next primary. But between now and then, they should challenge the state legislature. Call yourselves in the session. Don't wait for the governor. Don't hide somewhere. The, the, the lieutenant governor who's president of the Georgia Senate and the speaker of the House and should call themselves into session. Georgia has a long and colorful history of these kind of things and just say we're fed up. I don't think we should allow people who are either corrupt or gutless, you take your choice, uh, to allow the presidency of the United States to be stolen because they're too passive, they're hiding, they're not willing to stand up for what's right. And I, I must say, as some of literally, as you know, my career began in Georgia back in 1960 when I was a high school student. I mean, I didn't work my entire lifetime to create a Republican Party whose senior leadership would not have the courage to stand up and fight for uh, what's right in America. And what we're seeing right now is just, I think, absolutely intolerable. We've got these two runoff elections January 5th. By the way, big controversy has emerged today because uh, the candidate, uh, Warnock, apparently this calls for him to drop out of the race because apparently he gave a, t- a sermon uh, when truth meets power uh, and said, America, nobody can serve God and the U.S. military. Wow. That's pretty radical. Look, I, I think this is pretty straightforward. If, if you believe that Fidel Castro is our future, then Warnock's your candidate. Uh, if you believe that radical left-wing extremism is your future, then Warnock's your candidate. If you believe that anti-white racism is your future, then Warnock's your candidate. I mean, let's just you know, let's just be honest about what's at stake. The Democrats have nominated two people: Asif, who is essentially a Hollywood, uh, Silicon Valley, New York invention has no real roots in Georgia, no real understanding of Georgia, spends more time raising money in Hollywood than he does in South Georgia. And Warnock, who has proven, if you look at his various uh, uh, sermons over the years, he is a hardline, anti-white, left-wing radical uh, who doesn't like America and is prepared to condemn the rest of us. Now, the only hope the Democrats have, and I, I want to give... Stacey Abrams, some credit here. She has built a machine, and she is tough, and she's intimidated the governor, and she's intimidated the secretary of state. And the only hope the Democrats have is to steal the election because they will lose the campaign. I mean, as people learn more and more about Warnock and Ossoff, they will collapse. But the Democrats' hope is to get enough people to vote and to steal enough votes that they can win no matter what happens in the campaign. And that's the whole story of the next 60 days. So now you got Thanksgiving coming up next week. Then you got the run-up to Christmas. A lot of people go on vacation for Christmas or New Year's week, right? 
Then you're back on Monday, and then Tuesday's the election. I don't like the, the date of this or the time of this. Um, every indication is, you know, the governor and the secretary of state have no intention whatsoever of, of stopping this. And yet there's so much hinging on this race. I mean, it's, you know, if you listen, for example, to Chuck Schumer, you know, everything's on the table and including court packing and maybe getting rid of the electoral college and DC statehood, et cetera. Look, I, I thought as a Georgian that his formulation was perfect for anybody who wants to defeat the two Democrats, when he said, first, we take Georgia. Now, I think the idea of the average Georgian, of some New York liberal describing taking Georgia, that's the essence of it. Vote Warnock and let Schumer take Georgia. Vote Ossoff and let Schumer take Georgia. I don't think the average Georgian wants to be taken. I think they want somebody much like, uh, frankly, uh, Senator Perdue, who's actually been out there every day for six years, serving the people in every single county. He's been in more counties than Ossoff has done fundraisers in Hollywood. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I think that the Kelly Loeffler proved in the last six months she's been a solid conservative. She's been solid for the president. The gap between Perdue and Loeffler on the one side and Warnick and Ossoff on the other side has to be the biggest gap in American senatorial history. I personally think the only hope the Democrats have is to steal it, but they proved to us in the last few weeks they're pretty good at stealing. And if Stacey Abrams get a shot at it, she is going to steal the two Senate seats. What is the Republican Party in Georgia? You still have all your friends and contacts there. What are they now doing to combat this? I mean, you're right. Stacey Abrams, you got to give her credit. She organized. She's bragging. She has over 600,000 uh, requests for mail-in ballots already, which is, again, you know, where we get into a lot of the, these problems. So are the Republicans going to match that effort? Do they have the ability in the short period of time to mobilize well, and well, counter that? It's, 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 sure, but it's more than maxing that effort. What you got to understand is unless you control the identity of the people who get absentee ballots, which under the current rules they have to do on the way out. So when somebody applies, there's got to be a Republican there looking to say, is this, is this signature valid? Is this address valid? And you got to do that before they send the, uh, the ballot out there. I mean, I think in that sense, my, my, I just say this based on talking to lots of people, my sense is that except for the governor and the secretary of state, the rest of the party gets it. I mean, you have a huge number of people in Georgia who are totally committed to winning this thing, but their problem is that, that Governor Kemp is hiding in the basement sucking his thumb, and the Secretary of State has sold out totally to Stacey Abrams. And so the two people who ought to be doing the job of protecting Georgia have frankly totally caved. Unbelievable. You know, it's, it's just hard to watch all of this. And at the end of the day, every, you know, 72, 3 million people that voted for Donald Trump, you know, yeah. by by the thinnest of margins yeah. and obvious, you know, things that have gone wrong in multiple states, what, they get away with it? Is that the end result? Look, look I got to tell you, as an old friend, as you pointed out, we go back a long way. I first campaigned in Georgia as a high school student in 1960 when my dad was stationed at Fort Benning. 
I have been involved in that state for 60 years. The idea that we would win virtually everything. We have the legislature, the Congress, the senators, the governor, the secretary of state, and we would end up with two guys so totally incapable, whether because of cowardice or for whatever reason, of doing their job. I, I just can't quite imagine that. I mean, I am actually dumbfounded at how we walked into this particular trap. Well, I, and I will tell you, I don't think Kemp is the governor without Donald Trump's support. Pretty amazing. Uh, Speaker, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks for joining us. All right, Leonard Skinner, simple man that can only mean one thing, all things BillOReilly.com. Bill claims to be a simple man. I think he's complicated. <laughs> Mr. O'Reilly, sir, by the way, congrats again on your uh, best-selling book. Still on the New York Times list, I see. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and that's thanks to you. I appreciate the uh, plug, Sanity. Very nice of you, and I think you actually... It's not thanks to me. You wrote... you. This is number 15 in your Killing series. Killing Hannity, I think, will be number 20. And yeah, We're um, working on it. We're, we, we've <laughs> got to get you in a very grisly situation, you know, and it's just not going to be... I can see it. Well, Bill O'Reilly, simple man. Now... Look, you and I have covered a lot of elections over the years, right? And here I, we are. I, I now. started with Jimmy Carter way back right. in 1976. My, my interest started with Ronald Reagan as president. You're just a little bit older than me and um, better looking, of course. Uh, but now, uh, let's see. So far yesterday, we had 2,700 brand new votes from Georgia. The day before, we had another 2,600 brand new votes in Georgia. Um, I'm watching everything here. All these other states get it perfect. No, no integrity issues, full faith, confidence in the results. You get the results election night. And then all the states that seem to matter, Bill O'Reilly, simple man, you know, we have all these problems. Is that a coincidence? Well, they're all, uh, states where, uh, strongholds are run by Democrats, not Georgia, not a Democrat state per se, but certain, certainly Fulton County, Atlanta, where the majority of Biden votes were cast, uh, is. So, I mean, look, you can make a circumstantial case, and I think that it's worthy to consider that there was massive voter fraud this time around, because the Democrats were very worried that Trump would win, obviously. And I don't mind the president not conceding. I, I don't think he should if he believes that uh, the uh, entire vote was tainted. We all should know it. But time's running out. Tonight is the end of the Georgia recount. From what I understand, Biden still leads by about 12,000 votes. I don't we've know. Had, but, if, Bill, we've uh, had three counties in three days now discover thousands of votes in Georgia. Right. Now, count me skeptical. How do we ever have any faith and integrity in that system if two weeks, over two weeks now after Election Day, we're still finding ballots, Bill? There's something, there's something that stinks to high heaven. I think the situation is actually worse in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Georgia, I mean, you got uh, 10 million votes, I guess, and, uh, you know, some rural counties. I, you know, you want every you want every vote to be accurate, but Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia thing, really bothers me because remember, Trump was up by six hundred thousand 
on election night. And then I, I, th- I had a, I said, oh, he's got it. He's got it locked. I had my little chart. Bang. Trump wins Pennsylvania. And my prediction was whoever wins the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania becomes president. So I was taking a keen interest. And then the next day, all of a sudden, um, Biden's ahead by 45,000. So I've called for um, the Trump administration, and I think they should do this, to hire the best analytics firm in the world to go in and calculate the odds of that happening. And not only there, but Detroit, Milwaukee, Clark County, Nevada. Bring the analytics guys in. Take a look at the raw vote totals. Compare them to four years ago. And give me a percentage. Is it a 2% chance that a 600,000 vote margin can be overturned? Is it 10? I think if you start to do that fact-based stuff, that the electorate will then say, all right, we've got to take a closer look at this. But we only have really three weeks before the vote is supposed to be certified. Let me throw something else at you, because I and I did not know this until like the next day or the day after Election Day. I went and I said, let me go look up what the election laws are in every state. The one common thing, and it's written into the statutory language of all these states, that Partisan observers, the word partisan, Bill, are allowed to watch all of the counting of the votes from start to finish. Then you have in, in one county in Michigan, 234 affidavits signed by people under the threat of perjury. That, that's meaningful to me. It's not five or ten. Uh, I don't think people would perjure themselves because of a political view. Maybe a few, but not hundreds. Then you look at all of these states. They did not allow any viewing, some people 100 feet away, 20 feet away, even if you're six feet away. Now, they knew that they were going to have to make accommodations ahead of time for social distancing and COVID. That could have been done quite easily. The people opening the ballot here, I want you guys to see Republican, Democrat, I'm opening the ballot. I'm putting the ballot over here. You guys can inspect it and sign off on it or not sign off on it. Put a question mark on it, whatever you want to do. Um. That didn't happen in any of those states, Bill. And to me, that then goes to the issue of integrity and how to, again, how do we walk away from this process believing the result? I'm having a hard time getting to the point where I think Americans, 73 million Americans that voted for Trump are going to get there. Well, the poll out today says 78% who voted for Trump believe the election was fraudulent to some degree. Pennsylvania Supreme Court, as you know, and reported, um, they rule five to two that the distancing problem with the observers does not rise to the level where they're going to take any action. And I think that will play through. Do you think that's fair? But forget about what the court said. No, but you have to understand that we're dealing with human beings here. And Pennsylvania does not want to admit to the country that it's screwed up. And what I worry about is that the Supreme Court, there's one more action in Pennsylvania that could mean something here, and that is the votes counted after Election Day in violation of the Commonwealth's voting law. I think that's going to go to the Supreme Court. The problem with it is that the nine justices understand if they put a stay on the election, there's going to be violence, mass violence in this country. And they know that. And they're human beings. Now, 
Does that justify not doing the right thing? It does not. If I'm a Supreme Court justice, I do the right thing according to the Constitution, even if I know it's going to cause violence, which it will. So I'm not convinced that the Supreme Court isn't going to take that into consideration when looking at Pennsylvania. Because I think that's a fair analysis, but, but you're... The Pennsylvania electoral votes are going to be taken away from Joe Biden until we can sort this thing out, and that would delay the certification of the election. It just is, you know, look at the other case now we have out in Clark County. You mentioned Nevada. Uh, I'm told that apparently there's a there's an unfolding story in Wisconsin. We'll wait and see. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on it. You know, and one other thing that really kind of shocked me is in 2019, the state of Texas, not once but twice, rejected the software. All Georgia's 159 counties use this software, Dominion we're talking about. Um, and they had had problems during the primary. The New York Times wrote extensively the problems they had with it. The AP wrote about it. You have a, believe it or not, a voting machine professor at Princeton, tenured professor. He had a lot of problems with it. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have liberals and conservatives both on record not saying this is not a good system, how come 28 states used it, Bill? I, I don't know if anything went wrong. I'm not even suggesting but they obviously had problems in the primary in Georgia. Now they're finding all these votes. I'm suspicious. How's that? Is that a fair statement? And you should be. And all Americans should be very disenchanted yep. about how this election was conducted. I, everybody. Uh, because you think Democrats want more chaos, or do they want to fix it? I would argue they want more mail-in ballots, more confusion. So, and I would say, even I'll quote the New York Times again, they say mail-in balloting lends itself to potential fraud. Of course it does. It's much easier to uh, throw stuff away when it's mailed in. You can't throw stuff when, it, when you pull a curtain and pull a lever like I did here on Long Island, and I think you did too. Um, you can't. But you mail something in, somebody could throw it in the garbage. It's not hard to do that, particularly if it comes from a Republican county. So, but, but I'm a realist, and I believe that we Americans should demand that Congress impose standards on the states for elections going forward. But in this election now, it's going to be very tough for Donald Trump to prevail. It's going to be, and I, I just telling your audience, you know, I'm a simple man, but I'm also a straightforward, honest man. And it's going to be very, very. Everybody hard. sees it now. Maybe twenty-one. I will tell you that it is. You know, we're the United States of America, Bill O'Reilly, and you know what we send. You know, how long ago do we send people to the moon and come back? That's a pretty bold endeavor, wouldn't you say? And if we could do that, Bill O'Reilly, I am convinced. If states like Florida can straighten out their system, and Ohio can straighten out their system, and all the other states can get this right. We've got to demand that we have checks and balances and security in the ballot. And right now, I don't think anybody leaves this process with any sense that this was a fair election based on all that we know now. Well, the only way that is corrected is if Mitch McConnell, right after uh, the Senate comes back in January, 
introduces a bill, the fair election bill, and says that all 50 states, you can still oversee your election, but you have to abide by these tenants. And they're listed. And, you know, that would be fascinating. We'll see how many Democrats vote for that, because I think almost every Republican would. Almost every Republican senator would vote for that bill. Let's see how many Democrats would. Yeah? That's what Mitch McConnell should do, because that's the only way it's going to get fixed. There are certain states that are simply not going to do what they should do. Um, you know, we have all this stuff. Now we have two companies. And how great is it, by the way, Bill O'Reilly, that these are American companies, American endeavors, Pfizer, Moderna, and we now have the vaccine for coronavirus. And Operation Warp Speed certainly did it. Cuomo's out there blaming drug companies and President Trump for getting to speedy vaccines. I'm like, oh, is that a bad thing? You know, it, this was a very, very impressive achievement by the Trump administration. Yet I've seen scant, word of the day, scant coverage of it. And then Pfizer, those pinheads, um, they don't announce it until after the vote when they had it before the vote. And again, Americans are sitting there going, you know, give me a break, please. Do we have to have this kind of polarization even on a vaccine? Are you going to take the vaccine, Hattie, when it comes out? I am. Are you? I would. I, and this is a big argument we have with Linda, but I wouldn't a heartbeat. Yes. All right. I'm going to take it. And I, because I, don't I tell really you what, why don't you I take it first and then you report back to us and then I'll follow you. And, uh, but I want to give you my reason. I don't care if I turn into a zombie. It doesn't matter to me because then I don't have to pay a lot of taxes. I just oh, you'll have an excuse not people. to pay. Yeah. Um, so if I turn into a zombie, that's all right with me. So I'll be first online. I listen. I have faith in the medical researchers and and those that you know. There are people, Bill. This is pretty fascinating. Different, obviously, than the things we do. That devote their entire lives to viruses. And they've never broken down the sequence of a virus this quickly. January uh, 21st this year was the first identified case. What a, what a hell of a year this has been. Earlier and now we have the vaccine. We have two vaccines. Moon. Earlier you talked about going to the moon. This, is, this achievement rivals that. And, and, and I'll just say one more thing about it because it's so impressive to me who knows nothing about medical science. I know nothing. Where are the other countries in the world? They're not close. No one is close. They're waiting for us. Once again, America, once again, we come to the rescue of the world. Where is that story? Where is that story? But, Bill, you're talking about American greatness and American exceptionalism. That's out of fashion, apparently, and gets you in trouble with the woke crowd. But, all right, all things for Bill O'Reilly at BillOReilly.com, sir. Simple man, thank you very much for being with us. Happy and Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. You're going to be having. You're going to be following social distancing, mask guidelines, and hiding out in your basement bunker, or what? No, I'm going to be throwing pie at people <laughs> as they walk That's by your I'm house. Doing. Yep. All right. Stay right here. 